Hello and happy Tuesday, my friends. I'm Amy Lee San Juan, and I'd like to welcome you back to another informative episode of Cisco Champion Radio, where we provide insights and visibility into products and solutions across the Cisco portfolio and t- trending topics across our industry. If you like our podcast, please follow us and feel free to share your favorite episodes with your colleagues and friends. Of course, if you have any thoughts or comments on what we should cover in a future episode, let us know. Talk with us on Twitter at, at Cisco Champion. And just a heads up, the Cisco Insider Champion program is now accepting applications through February. So if you're interested in becoming a member and joining this amazing community, apply today. You can find the link in the show notes below. All right, today we are talking about Open Automated Frequency Coordination or Open AFC. To help us dive into this topic, we have an amazing cast of champions and our best experts from Cisco and Broadcom. So let's get into introductions. GJ, let's start with you. Hi, my name is Gert-Jan de Boer. I'm a CTO for Azure, a Dutch value-added reseller, and we focus mainly on networking and security. And we do a lot of wireless, so I'm very excited to learn more about AFC. All right, Sam, you're up next. What do you do? Hi, everybody. My name is Sam Clements, and I uh, live in the mobility world. I live and breathe all things wireless. I work for a large VAR here in the States and generally passionate about uh, everything Wi-Fi and, and all related topics. All right, Sibren, last but not least, how are you? I'm doing good. Thank you, Emily. My name is Sibren Bergerkamp. We are located in the Netherlands, and I'm an owner of Three Corners. And our primary focus is Cisco Corporation and, web, and the WebEx portfolio. And I'm excited to be here and ready to learn all about Open AFC. And my Twitter handle is at SibrinB. Wonderful. All right. Now on to our experts. Chris and Matt, thank you for being our guests today. Can you tell us more about who you are and what you do at Broadcom and Cisco? Sure. Um, Christopher Shemansky. I'm with Broadcom's Connectivity Division. I handle uh, product marketing and technology strategy. And over the course of the last, I'd say, seven or eight years, my primary job has been to do everything necessary to bring six gigahertz Wi-Fi product to market. And Matt McPherson, I'm the wireless CTO, and uh, I look at things like regulatory as well as next generation technologies, working with the product management team and engineering, and uh, also some of the device ecosystem partners uh, like Chris over at Broadcom. Wonderful. Okay. So before the champions take over the conversation, um, this is going to go to Matt and Chris. Can you provide us a bit of background on today's topic? Sure. So we're going to talk a little bit about AFC today and uh, and the relevance it has to the next generation of Wi-Fi and what we're doing really in 6 gigahertz. So just to lay a little bit of background on what we mean by AFC and what it does, I, I wanted to take a second to step back and, and talk about 6 gigahertz. So when we went into 6 gigahertz, uh, there were people that were already using it. Uh, they were what we call incumbents. And these incumbent uses are typically things like uh, communication links that go up to satellites or point-to-point type communications. And so when we opened the 6 gigahertz, what we had to make sure is that we were protecting those incumbents. So, you know, it wasn't too long ago when you opened up New Spectrum, any incumbent use had to be vacated. So using a technology like this where Spectrum isn't heavily used so that we can make broader use of it and uh, make sure that people have access Uh, to these new capabilities, the additional bandwidth and all of those benefits. Um, What we do is we we put in place certain rules working with uh, entities like the FCC and other regulators so that we can use that spectrum. 
And that's what happened. And so when we get into this, we'll talk about a couple of different topics. We'll talk about, for example, LPI or um, low power indoor versus standard power um, and how that would work and how we make sure that we don't interfere um, with those incumbents when we use the spectrum. That's really what AFC is all about, is um, how do we use the six gigahertz outdoors or at standard power while not interfering with existing use. And AFC, the acronym stands for? Automated Frequency Coordination. Um, Perfect. You can, That's a... <laughs> you can, you know, like Matt said, I think you can really think about this as a way to use frequencies at times and in locations where they're not already being used. Can you compare it to something like DFS then? You can. In DFS, you, you have something that's a little bit different. What you're doing there is you, you have some incumbent use and the, the AP is responsible for periodically checking uh, to make sure that it can use the frequency without causing any interference. And actually, it, it actually protects the AP as well. So it's a little bit different because it's active. In this case, the AFC, you can think about it as like a cloud database that gets queried. And so what happens is that when you're doing your radio resource management or you're setting up a network or you turn on an AP, what it does is, is it gives the location. So the AP has to know where it is. So it gives a location to this uh, AFC database. And this database then looks at that location and all the incumbent use and which way antennas are pointing for these incumbent point-to-point -point links or satellite links. And then it determines what's currently being used and then what's available to you. And so you get that list. Um, you now know what frequencies you can use and you make that part of your radio resource uh, management algorithm, uh, just like we do today. And, um, and, and uh, you're free to operate. And here's the good news. Um, when you're talking about AFC, you're not consuming a radio resource man, um, within your access point. When you're doing DFS, you're sensing. So you're consuming, your radio is actually being used to sense the airwaves. With AFC, as Matt said, it's cloud-based. So that means all of your radio resources are actively going for ensuring you know, optimal transmission. Let's, let's, let's circle back a bit. Um, let's assume I'm totally new regarding open AFC. Uh, what are the use cases in which, how, how do I position open AFC? So there's a couple of things to be aware of and, you know, and Chris, I'll let you jump in. But so first off, um, there's these different power levels that come into play uh, when you operate in six gigahertz. One of the things that we wanted to make sure that we did when we went into six gigahertz, especially for indoor use, is we wanted to make it as easy to use as the 2.4 and 5 gigahertz spectrum. Um, which means anybody can can set up a network and just start operating. And if that AP is indoors and you're doing LPI or low power indoor, um, that's what you do. Uh, you, you pretty much just start using the spectrum. Now, say you're in a mall or something like that. Um, what happens is that you can still have other people using the frequencies. Remember, this is unlicensed which means that you could be, you could have two stores next to each other and they could, they could both be wanting to use that spectrum. So, so we use the same mechanisms in six gigahertz to avoid each other, to pick up rogues, um, to pick up interference and then move to spectrum that's more clear that we would do on the 2.4 and the five gigahertz. Now, when you wanna use higher power or what we sometimes refer to, or what's the standards refer to as standard power, um, or if you're outdoors, um, then you don't have quite so much freedom. Now you have to check 
uh, to see if that spectrum is being used and that you could potentially cause interference to an incumbent. When you want to uh, talk to the AFC uh, to make sure that everything is getting properly coordinated. To be clear, you're, you're not saying that AFC is going to be used neighbor to neighbor. Like if I'm am co-located in a wall, for example, and I've got somebody next to me wanting to use six gigahertz, AFC is not going to prevent me from using their Wi-Fi channels. It's going to protect both of us against the incumbents, meaning meaning those so radar installations and that, right? That's a really, really important point because sometimes people think the AFC is doing more than it is. In, in fact, if you look at like CBRS, the SAS, um, when when you're doing 5G in the CBRS 3.5 spectrum and you query the SAS to use spectrum, it actually attempts to put you in different spectrum than someone else that's also operating in the area. So it has a responsibility to do that. In the case of the AFC, that's not true. So in unlicensed technology, especially the, the most dominant stack, the one we're used to, so Wi-Fi, um, it has mechanisms for detecting other uses of the spectrum, and those all still apply. So the AFC doesn't have to be responsible for it. So all the AFC is doing is making sure that you're not interfering with incumbent use of that frequency. As far as coordinating store to store or between multiple different uses in the same location, that works the way Wi-Fi has always worked. And that's a that's good to know. I think you know we've had some struggles in the past, especially with things like external antennas, where we've had to deal with not being able to use them on today's platforms. This this covers that as well, right? Even indoors. I think it's important to understand that, as Matt said, there were already users in the six gigahertz band. So to get access, we had to kind of construct categories of Wi-Fi use, and so one category was low power indoor. Uh, one category is standard power using this automated frequency coordination or AFC. Well, how do you determine that a device is going to be indoor? Um, how is the FCC going to be comfortable with that? Or how is, uh, you know, European Commission going to be comfortable uh, uh, with that in, in Europe? And so there were device rules for this category that were put in place. You got to be connected to mains power, got to operate at very low levels. You can't be in a weatherproofed, you know, enclosure. You can't have external antennas, um, and so it was the combination of all of these that would make utility outdoors a little less practical, right? What are you going to do? Put it in some sort of box? If you do that, you muffle your signal. If you can't put the antennas outside of the box, right? So that was the idea behind low power indoor, right? It was to provide some reliability to regulators that these things are gonna be used indoors. AFC provides flexibility in your product design. It provides more power, and then it also allows the product to be used outdoors. So does this mean that AFC is only applicable for outdoor use or? Not the way Broadcom sees it. I mean, if you look at the current six gigahertz rules, low power indoor is way lower power than the five gigahertz. Um, in the five gigahertz rules, you can transmit, um, you know, up to up to four watts. Um, with six gigahertz low power indoor, narrower channels are severely power constrained, um, and wider channels you can transmit up to one watt. So with with automated frequency coordination or standard power devices, I can transmit at powers that are comparable to five gigahertz, which means I get that flexibility, I get all that power, but in this clean six gigahertz spectrum. 
Um, and so for Broadcom, we think that the prevailing use case is going to be to increase power levels for indoor devices, but it's not just access points here. It allows these client devices to operate at higher power levels as well. Just to be complete, Chris, you know, if, uh, what about LPI outdoors? No bueno. Uh, you know, you can't operate LPI outdoors and, and, you know, the power levels uh, matter ridiculously low. I don't want to get into DB here, uh, but what I can tell you is that they're operating at up to 63 times lower power than a standard power device. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a huge power differential. So even if your access point is indoor and your client device is somehow outdoor, all of that muffling of of the signal through the the building through the windows is going to make you know reliable trans transmissions impractical so really lpi low power indoor is for indoor and there's not an lpo for outdoor it's just everything falls underneath afc it's like lpi or afc and afc has everything else okay but does that mean if i use it indoor i need a lot of access points if you use lpi indoor or if you use Standard power indoor LPI. Yeah, so so great question. Um, so we've done a lot of testing uh, for LPI. Now, what we believe is that uh, most modern networks are deployed at densities on purpose uh, so that they can carry uh, not only more traffic, but that they do a better job when you're handing off AP to AP. So if you're using your current network, for example, for voice, and you're walking around the office. You want to make sure that the APs from a radio signal standpoint overlap. And so that that tends towards higher densities. And so if you, if you deploy a typical density, LPI should be okay um, in most indoor situations. Um, but then there's other uh, situations where you might be doing more of a coverage model um, where you want to put in less radios and broader coverage um, or you have situations where you need to penetrate walls or you have particular obstacles and things like that where you want to be able to use higher power. Sure. Um, in the case of that, um, where you want to go to standard power, um, then you check with the AFC and, and you go to standard power. Now, are we going to see clients, though, that are LPI only, meaning clients that cannot operate at standard power even with an AFC check-in? That's a fun topic right here, <laughs> near and dear to my heart <laughs> as I talk to my customers. So you have a little bit of an artificial construct. You have two artificial constructs, right? So when Broadcom builds a, a chip for a client device and, and you know, you have your front end and your board limits, that device is capable of transmitting at, you know, whatever the board limits in the front end would allow, right? Because of these low power indoor rules, we have to reduce the power of that client device chip in accordance with the regulatory requirements, if that makes sense. So with standard power, we can increase the power levels of that client device the way that we designed it to operate. Now, from a regulatory perspective, um, at least in the U.S., you have certifications for low power indoor client devices, you have a certification for standard power client devices, and you have certifications for dual client. That means that a manufacturer that is homologating or, or certifying to market or import into the United States has to check the right box. So they need to make sure that they're checking um, that this is a dual client device. 
if it is not certified as a dual client device, then it would be constrained to only talk to low power indoor access points or talk to standard power access points. So, you know, being aware and, and a properly uh, certifying the device is key to a uh, flexible use. So you're saying there, there absolutely will be clients that are LPI only that cannot function at standard power sort of regardless of certification or validation or anything, right? There are just going to be some clients that just can't go above LPI. Likely. I would say it depends. I would say no. I would say very rarely. If 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 the party certifying the device yeah. um, appropriately certifies it as a dual client, then absolutely, I think in every instance, we'll be able to drive more power. And the reason behind this is under the low power indoor rules, narrower channels are penalized more with power, okay? And so if you think about modern Wi-Fi and these multi-user um, uh, capabilities like OFDMA, the whole point in uplink OFDMA is that I can drive more power in a narrower channel. If I'm constrained to um, a limited amount of power in a narrower channel with low power indoor, I can't make full use of those multi-user controls. So if my board says that I can transmit at a certain power level, let's say um, 200 milliwatts or whatever, um, uh, in a 160 megahertz channel, theoretically, I should be able to transmit at that power level in a 20 megahertz channel or in a 2 megahertz resource unit. But because of these low power indoor rules, I'm not allowed to. So if I certify a device as standard power, I'll be able to drive more power in these narrower channels if the access point wants me to, to, to operate in a narrower channel. Um, and so it gives me flexibility. And so I would say in almost every instance, even low power IoT devices are, are capable of transmitting in more power in a narrow channel than what low power indoor rules would allow. Yeah, and I just want to take a second to, to explain a little bit um, what Chris is getting into here because um, when you look at what we're doing in, in 6 gigahertz, it, it operates a little bit differently. So um, what we have is 5 dBm per megahertz PSD, which means that your smaller channels are going to transmit at lower power than your wider channels. And that's what Chris is talking about here. So the wider your channel, the more power you can transmit at. Even a dense stadium deployment, um, you know, how much power are you driving from an access point in a in a stadium that has two or two thousand or so access points? Maybe fifteen dBm, fourteen dBm from an access point perspective. And how many clients are you serving? Thirty, fifty, a hundred, probably. Um, even if that access point is operating in an 80 megahertz channel, client devices certainly aren't operating at an 80 megahertz channel. They're operating in a 20 or perhaps even a smaller resource unit, right, um, for better spectral efficiency. And so even in a stadium deployment, I can drive more power into a narrow client device channel using AFC, even though I don't need it for the access point per se. So you mentioned that... Uh... AFC is using a cloud connection to uh, gather all that information. Does this mean that you constantly need a, an internet connection to update that information? And what happens when that is not available? Some rules here, uh, of course, that, that apply as well. So say you're setting up an AP for the first time, um, it will not be able to operate in standard power until it has talked to the AFC. Now, what can happen also is 
uh, say that you're using certain spectrum, a set of spectrum that the AFC approved, and then uh, one of the you know point-to-point -point radio providers or a or a satellite link, say they put in a new one in your area, and now the spectrum that you're using wouldn't actually interfere with quote incumbent use. And what that means is is that um, you got to check the AFC again. So the the way the rules work is is that if there's a change to the AFC database, you you have to notice it and change the spectrum you're using within 24 hours. That's a really good point, Matt. So if you think about it, the genesis of being able to use automated frequency coordination is the fact that regulators publish information about incumbent license holders. And they have spectrum rights, they're license holders. And so uh, if one of these uh, license holders updates their link or establishes a new link or you know, um, you know, creates new towers, whatever, they require protection. And so these databases, you know, FCC or, or Canada's ICED, these regulatory authorities will publish information regarding incumbent links. And so that means that an AFC would need to be able to interact with this licensing database, download the information, and then make sure that it's performing the appropriate um, calculations so that uh, a Wi-Fi device is not interfering on that frequency or, or in that in that location. And so, because these databases are are updated every you know roughly every business day, um, the AFC has to be connected to in order to to download the information, update its database, and then of course the access points have to be connected to the AFC in order to determine whether or not. Uh, the calculation has been performed uh, to to provide channel availability. And so all of this up to this point has been talking about AFC generically, right? And these providers and all that fun stuff. What what is so so we, I think we've got a good handle on what AFC is. What is open AFC? Well, it's open, right? No. Well, um, clearly. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um so open AFC is an open source work group under the Telecom Infra project. And it was founded by Broadcom, Cisco, and Meta. And the basic gist is this. Broadcom chipsets are in every country around the world. Cisco selling equipment in every country around the world. How do we make sure that these markets are capable of using our devices to the fullest? And not all markets are equal, unfortunately. So while the US is a huge market, and it may spur on a lot of automated frequency coordinator applicants or entrants into the market. You know, what about Saudi Arabia or Brazil or um, New Zealand? And so the question became, how do we develop a, a, a platform, a software platform that includes the whole community? Anyone in that community can actually use this and offer a service in all of these countries? How do we turbocharge market availability around the world? And so, you know, we got together to create this open source software platform. I think we got over, you know, 100 participating uh, entities and over 200 engineers that are that are working collaboratively. And, you know, we have a GitHub and, you know, modern software tools and we're constantly contributing and in, in improving the code for the benefit of all. Does this mean when I set up my own access point with a Raspberry Pi or something, I can connect it to open AFC somewhere in the future? 
no. Yeah, so think think of OpenASD <laughs> as uh, you know, it's it's it, like like Chris was saying, it's it's over in tip. What we're doing there is is developing the code, and it it's open, it's open source, um, and uh, that'll be tested, and it'll to make sure that it meets the what we call system under test and device under test coming out of the WFA and the, and the constraints to protect incumbents that's coming out of WinForum and, you know, in order to meet the requirements of the, um, of the FCC. So you should be aware that, that there's multiple different companies or players um, that are developing AFC solutions. And in some cases they're proprietary for a company. And in some cases they're based upon open AFC. So in the first round, when the FCC um, put out a query on who was interested in doing this, we had five different um, entities that did apply to do an a AFC using open AFC. And in some cases that included um, standards or forum groups like the WFA and the WBA. In other cases, it's companies like Broadcom um, using open AFC themselves or someone like Curio, um, I think was looking at doing it, and there was another one. I think Plume uh, was looking at using it as well. That, that's right, Matt. I think, you know, I've been traveling all over the world. Most recently, came back from the Middle East, and you know, Saudi Arabia is very interested and excited about AFC and standard power, but they're not clear yet on what their rules are going to be. Do you need to have a local entity? Do all of the experts need to um, reside in Saudi Arabia? Um, in other countries, um, they have. Uh, fixed links that are protected for national security reasons, and they don't want to put that information and make it make it available to a, a third party offering a AFC solutions. So the regulator themselves might end up being an AFC operator. Well, if we have to wait for a regulator to develop code that can interoperate with access points and be tested by the Wi-Fi Alliance, you and I are going to be having this conversation five or ten years from now. So the idea <laughs> is this code is available. You know, it can be modified and then, you know, as Matt has said, you know, Broadcom can provide turnkey services. Um, you know, Broadcom might might be the, the best solution in some instances or a proprietary system like federated wireless, uh, depending on what someone's looking at, or it could be Wi-Fi Alliance. Um, but the uh, I think there are 13 now. AFC operator entrants or potential AFC operators that are being certified. Uh, uh, by the FCC, that's our start population at the end, maybe end up with 5 or 6 that go all the way through. Um, well, that's the US market. What, what does that mean? Are all of those folks going to participate in, in all these other countries? Likely not. So, so AFC obviously is a, is a bucket of code. How are, how are our listeners going to interact with code that you're writing today? Is that something they're going to consume by way of a Cisco controller and they mash a button and it automatically phones home using this code? Is somebody building a service that we're going to have to subscribe to? Like, like, like y'all are doing some cool stuff, but how, how do we consume it? Yeah. And, and that's a good question. And, and you know, just to kind of finish Chris's thought. What we're doing over in TIP in the OpenAFC project is not lighting up a AFC that you can use for your products. What we're doing is we're, we're doing an open set of code um, that uh, we know passes the tests, et cetera, that a company can use to offer a solution. So we're simplifying the path to market for those uh, entrants that, that want to really get a, I would say, a jump start in, in offering a solution here that they know is, is going to work. 
Now, in the case of a, a company like Cisco, you, you, you buy your APs. Um, what you can do is you can work with a third party um, or you could use OpenASC. And so you have some flexibility uh, as a customer um, as what you want to use. Now, Cisco will offer turnkey solutions uh, as, as part of their solution so to make sure that you can use standard power and you're meeting all the constraints, um, as well as standard-based interfaces um, so that you could use uh, something like OpenASC. So if you operate a, a multinational network, does this mean you have to deal with all uh, kinds of configuration settings and connect them to different entities? Or you know, it's pretty good about this OpenASC, and Chris Chris knows more about this than me. I'll just cover it at a high level, but um, it's incredibly flexible. Um, you can go in and you can set the parameters on what the available spectrum is and what the power requirements are um, for that particular country based on its regulatory. So it's it's actually a pretty smart system that'll figure a lot of that out for you. Um, Chris, you probably have a couple other tidbits. Yeah. So. Um... You have to kind of think about the obligation of the access point and then the obligation of the AFC operator. And so an access point is obligated to know its location and to send a request to an AFC operator. There's a handshake. So, you know, any any access point has to be authorized to work with an AFC, if that makes sense. But the access point knowing its geolocation would know what its regulatory domain is. So if it's operating in Canada, say, it would have to operate in conformance with Canadian rules, which are slightly different than the rules that the FCC is publishing. In Europe, we're working on standard power uh, right now studies, um, and so it's not clear what those rules will look like in the end, but in each instance, the access point knows it, the regulatory jurisdiction that it's operating in and then would communicate with an FCC. The FCC is configurable. So the F, you know, the, uh, sorry, the FCC, the AFC is configurable. Too many acronyms. And so that AFC would, would be configurable. I think, I think Chris, you've been influencing the FCC maybe too long, you know. So. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> Change um, job, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, so with the AFC, then that AFC would know, okay, I need to operate under the US rules. And so it, it may be different. And if that AFC operator is only working in five markets, and let's say that uh, uh, an enterprise is operating in 30 markets, they might need to have more than one uh, AFC operator solution. So, sort of the nice thing about open AFC. As Matt has said, we're providing the fab fabric for any AFC operator to use. So even if you have two or three or four or five different AFC operators, they're all using materially the same code. So there's going to be an expectation of similar, you know, quality of service. Of course, every AFC operator needs to harden their system, and um, you know, have security and authentication. Um, in place, but for the most part, what we're doing is we're making it easier to scale across markets and across, um, you know, AFC um, service providers and, and how you interact is going to be different as well. As Matt said, you know, with Cisco, you've got this enormous, um, you know, well-resourced enterprise player that's capable of offering a, a turnkey service and maybe they're doing it in every every single market or maybe they're contracting with more than one AFC operator. Maybe it's something that's totally transparent to you. 
maybe you never even have to know this acronym AFC. You just go to Cisco and say, hey, I want I want your best, you know, six gigahertz capability. Um, and, and, you know, all uh, who cares about AFC at the end of the day? They've just <laughs> enabled it, right? Um, or you might have a different arrangement like with operators. Broadcom's working with various operators to enable this in a in a residential setting. And, uh, you know, I doubt very seriously that the operator is going to be telling any residential customer about, you know, Broadcom or, or Federated Wireless or, or any other entity, right? It's all going to be very, very transparent to that user. So, so clearly you've thought through several use cases specifically around obviously a lot of features um, or, or capabilities that a regulatory body and or a certifying or an AFC body might have. And you've thought through obviously a lot of iterations of this relation of these sort of enterprise to external provider relationships. Uh, do you think that it's just a straight up traditional enterprise is going to have a relationship with more than one AFC provider for their infrastructure. It sounds like you've built it so you can have more than one relationship with more than one set of rules with more than one set of sort of constraints, depending on where your deployment is at. But is that going to be common? I would say if you're a company in the US, uh, you would probably use one or if you're a company in a particular country, you would probably use one. If you're an international company, you may want to look at different implementations based on what's available in that area and cost dynamics and, and, and things like that. So, um, I think you're right. It part, one of the expectations of the FCC is that the AFC be very resilient. And so as a design criteria, it has to have failed over and, and uh, redundancy and, and all of those things built in. So you're, you're not going to get something that's more reliable by, by going to two, because that has to be built into the system already. Um, but you might have other dynamics that are that are happening that would cause you to use more than one. Uh, like I said, if you're international, et cetera. My my gut is, and the market's still developing. We're talking about something where no one has offered AFC service yet. We're still working to get certified, and you see a wide variety of of uh, of different types of companies throwing their hat in the ring. But my gut here, and we'll see if this stands the test of time. I don't know how long this podcast will be on, right? But uh, you know, my gut is right, right. that most people will obtain their AFC service either through the access point manufacturer, um, uh, an operator, or you know, that's provisioning broadband services, or uh, a nonprofit or a chip maker. I think that's sort of how you're going to see this go to market. I I I I think. Very rarely would an enterprise go direct to an AFC operator. It just adds another party in the supply chain, adds complexity. Most of the time, people want one throat to choke, and so I think um, that sort of market simplification that you're going to see—that's my—that's my best bet. Yeah, and I think that I mean, from a Cisco perspective, um, that's exactly what we're doing. Um, we're we're going to solve this. Um, we'll have an AFC implementation that's available to you when you buy our product, and you, all you have to do is turn it on. And do you, do you expect the uh, the online AFC services? Or do you expect those to be sort of commercial engagements with enterprises? Where hey, if I want to use a third party AFC provider, I'm going to have to pay thirty cents an AP per month in order to use their service, or or has are those things still like being worked out? Still being worked out. Um, I, so, so I'm so as as CTO of wireless, I, I get into really dangerous ground when I start talking about what's it going to cost and, and, and the PM to listen to this. <laughs> but but I can tell you that that it'll be in our licensing, uh, you know, sure. when you buy this uh, solution. 
Will there be external commercial AFC providers that I can turn around and substitute in if I so determine that I want to have a paid for service? We're not doing that initially. Um, What we're we're doing is we're offering the service and solving that problem. Um, Is it an open interface and and could you do that? If there's more flexibility to market, um, you could, Uh, but that's not how we anticipate it will be initially released. Okay. I think that would add a lot of cost and complexity because then you'd have to be able to authenticate individually with with each AFC operator. So if you think about the way this is going to work is you're going to have certified AFC operators, say, in the United States. Um, And then you're going to have the access points that are then certified. And those, even though you have standard interfaces, how do you ensure that this access point is actually authorized to receive service from this AFC operator? Um, you know, there's contractual agreements, there's security protocols in place, right? There's there's accountability mechanisms, there's privacy agreements, you know, all of those things. And so if you start swapping in and out as, say, an, an end user, you know, an enterprise or, you know, a, a regular consumer, um, that consumer would then have to get into some sort of commercial agreement and have to download authentication, a firmware update. And then what, what is that? Something it's over the top, not something that Cisco's offering in its firmware update. And I mean, all of this stuff becomes incredibly complex. And I think that that would sort of um, decrease the reliability of the overall, of the overall service. So um, exactly what I was asking. Yes. Yeah. I I don't see that happening. AFC be a more, uh, service provider driven service or can enterprises for example also use afc i think enterprises are going to be one of the key uh use cases and early adopter drivers so as i think about sort of the way the wi-fi market typically works um you know at least from a, a chip vendor's perspective you have sort of hero class smartphones and retail routers that often will be shipped even before a certification is in place. So you're, you kind of, kind of makes your head spin. You look up and you say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wi-Fi 6E was just certified and these chip makers and, you know, at CES, someone just announced Wi-Fi 7. What, what the heck's going on here? Right. And so you'll see some of these, I, I call it the tip of the spear. And then when the software and the market is more mature and there's stability, uh, you typically will see enterprises and then sort of last but not least, you know, these operators that might have 30,000 or 30, you know, 30 million subscribers start kind of rolling this into their back end, into their, their software, you know, in, their infrastructure. Um, with AFC, I believe that uh, enterprises are going to probably lead here. Um, this additional power and flexibility and the need for robust multi-user controls. And let's face it, when you're talking about outdoor, you know, how, you know most of the outdoor installations are going to be managed by an operator, by an enterprise anyway. And, and, you know, that's table stakes. If you don't have AFC, you have no outdoor operations, period. Um, so, so in, in my mind, I think enterprises are going to lead. Um, I think operators will definitely come online, but it'll take a little bit of time. And I think if someone's buying the latest and greatest, you know, retail router, um, and you want to eke out all of this additional form of performance, it'll, it'll probably bundled, be bundled in with that really, really high end router. But that's kind of ha- how I see this, uh, operating in the market. Uh, I'll just sort of add to uh, into the, uh, market discussion that. You know, why, why is Cisco investing in something like open AFC and, and open code? Um, and, and what would be our motivation? You know, we've always felt that 
um, Wi-Fi as a technology is has been cheap and easy compared to other tech. I well, I should say cost effective and simple, uh, maybe <laughs> as compared to other stacks and technology. And because of that, um, it's it's really had phenomenal adoption. You know, I think in the beginning years, I don't think anyone anticipated near the adoption that it, it actually has today. It does carry the bulk of traffic um, into the Internet. And and so we want to make sure that um, all the various use cases um, even simple use cases can take advantage of standard power. So, so say um, you developed a home AP, for example, um, you you may not be of the size that that you would have uh, the capability to have your own AFC, or, or in some cases even work with a a, a third party that might be uh, more costly than what your business model would allow for. Especially when we start talking about IoT and things that are very small and cheap as a product. Um, you have to be careful about those sorts of things. And, and so one of the reasons for the investment here is to make sure that standard power is available to everyone. And uh, that, uh, that's really what's behind, I think, a lot of this story is that, uh, you know, not only should it be easy to use LPI, but it should be easy to use standard power wherever you need. I agree wholeheartedly. Let Wi-Fi be Wi-Fi. At the end of the day... Uh, we want to continue to see uh, this technology flourish, um, and uh, you know, open AFC is is really going to be a, a great equalizer rather than each company um, having to commit significant amounts of R and D for their own sort of system, proprietary system. Here, it's a shared. You know, it's it's, it's the democratization of standard power Wi-Fi is really what it is, and so super excited about it because you're going to get all of this additional flexibility, um, uh, but with through the collaboration of some of the most brilliant minds in the industry, uh, delivering you know making this you know widely available and not coming with a cellular like subscription plan, um, and and so that's really the key here. Well, I feel like those were some brilliant closing thoughts, but I'm going to check in. Is there anything that we didn't cover that you'd like to touch on before we close? No? I think we covered it pretty good. You certainly did. Okay. Well, uh, to our listeners, to continue learning about today's topic, feel free to check out the resources provided in the show notes below. And of course, this is your weekly reminder. You could subscribe to Cisco Champion Radio on your favorite streaming platform and receive alerts on our latest releases. So wherever you're listening to us, Make sure to click on that subscribe or follow button now. Thank you for listening and see you again next week.